So welcome back to the end of season Salad Cast special. Um, yeah, we've just seen off Sam Ricketts, um, who's departed uh, for Pastures Greener. Who knows one day down the line. Um, and yeah, we we go back now to our, our live recording of the end of season podcast with uh, myself, Ollie, Mike, and Lewis as we start to look at the cultural era and where that was heading. It was unbelievable. We were <laughs> expecting, you know, about two months maybe we'll interview someone and then maybe we'll offer them a contract and then. Yeah, we'll get someone in. But yeah, it was an absolute whirlwind and it was it was quite remarkable. I think probably Lewis, you were probably quite surprised as well. You know, we went from sacking the manager and then we found out that, you know, the manager the chairman was on the blower straight away to his old mate Steve Cottrell. Um and before we know it, he was driving up and having a natural having a flow test and all that palarkey. And yeah, he was at the meadow and yeah, plunked in front of you, Lewis, was a new manager with full of yeah. yeah. And he seemed like a real football manager. Well, thank God it was two days and not two months, first of all, selfishly, because that's a horrific period to try and report on, honestly. <laughs> and so MK Lons was Tuesday, the Wednesday lunch-ish time, I think he got sacked. Yeah, it was. Oh, yeah. It, he got sacked to midday. It came out midday announcement. Yeah, and then and then was it, I think Cottrell was appointed on the Friday. I'm just trying to get my days yep. right now. Cause I, it was later in a week, yeah. The, the, the day after Ricketts was sacked when the managerial search was going on, and apologies because his name escapes me right now, but there was the Scottish... Chat, yeah, there was that? the Livingston manager. Yeah, no, so that was the that um, was that was the Wednesday night. So Wednesday yeah. night, the man there was all those rumours about the Livingston manager because he just quit, and obviously yeah. everyone was making uh, yeah. you know making the link to Brian Caldwell. Uh, I remember chatting to their podcast <laughs> even like on Twitter, joking. Yeah, about I spoke we're with the, get him. their reporter. Yeah, yeah, Gary Gary Holt, Gary Holt. That was um, yes, ex Norwich. He he looked like it looked like it was all falling into place, didn't it? And hadn't managed in England before, had he? I, I might be wrong. No. And but clearly, the chairman only had one idea, didn't he? It was one man for the job. Well, yeah, and we didn't know, we didn't know, did we, about those links from back in the conference season? Which, as a fan, obviously, you know, we're aware of the, the story of our club and, and what happened there. And, and you know, it's it, let alone bringing Cottrell in. It was nice to hear of the help he gave us in probably our darkest time. Let's be honest about it. Getting that managerial appointment right after um, Rack, Rick, um, Ratcliffe had got us relegated probably one of the most important decisions that Ronan Witchley's ever made, you know, and, and it seems like Steve Cottrell was there to give him quite a, uh, a sort of um, helping hand and talking through the conference from his experience of having yeah. brought Cheltenham through the leagues. And that was a really nice story in that first interview, Mike. And I don't know, before we go back to Lewis about his first interview with him and what he made, what did you make of, you know, hearing Steve Cottrell talk for the first time and, and kind of the demeanour of the man? He's incredibly enthusiastic, isn't he? He's really, mm. sort of, he looks like a bundle of energy. I mean, they must have knocked him for six, seven in the COVID, but... I think it was just nice to see somebody come in and just be so enthusiastic and talk so positively about the club. And clearly, from knowing Roland, he knows the club. He has some affinity. It's not just another guy coming in to take, try and do well with, with Shrewsbury and then build his CV. I think I get the feeling that he sees us as like a long-term project for him. He seems quite comfortable to, to manage us long-term and not just try and improve himself, but try and improve the club on behalf of somebody who apparently is his mate, you know, the chairman. Uh, my my question really, and I suppose Lewis might have some insight. Do we really believe that Cottrell wasn't lined up before Ricketts was given the boot? Because that might explain why Ricketts was kept on so long. Well, maybe they they tried to persuade Steve to come and take it over because it is a bit of a, a step down for Cottrell. I think he's he's widely regarded as a Championship level manager. Do we think that there was a little bit of backdoor shenanigans going on? I think possibly there would have. Been. Well, I thought I thought you <laughs> know Cottrell. You know, Cottrell was clearly available. He wasn't wasn't in a job, you mm. know, and he'd been out of the game for a while. I don't think he was desperate to get back in, but I think he, you know, clearly wanted to. He was available, so I think you know the chairman could have possibly gone to him sooner. It just seemed when it all happened in such a rush, there was a few not inconsistencies, but everybody was like, "Oh God, yeah, I only got the call on 
when was it oh yeah it was it was saturday because he was saturday yeah morning, so i have to I say saturday that. don't i yeah 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 so it's, it's a fair point but again i think if perhaps it doesn't answer the question exactly but if shrewsbury could have got steve cottrell in sooner then perhaps they definitely should have yeah um <laughs> you know and and not held off for long enough you know do we know whether the chairman was speaking to steve while the manager was in charge i'd I'd like to think no, because uh, you know, probably tries to do things properly, and mm. you know, I don't, I don't think that's. Yeah, I, I, I almost like to think yes, because it sure we learn our lessons from the, some of the previous really drawn out recruitment process we've had. You know, have the conversations while you're thinking of making the decisions, and then you, you lose, you, you lose that weird time in between where you've not got a manager. I think you know, hopefully we learn. It was, lessons, it was, but, it was yeah. absolutely you know we joke about it. we didn't have to wait two months, but it, I remember writing at the time. What was it? It was. Late November, wasn't it? it? It was late November. And I know the season started a little bit later, so the timings are out. But a town could not afford to wait at all. Could they? they couldn't no. afford that weird period where you have an interim. I mean, who on earth was going to be the interim? Probably David Longwell. Where, you know, you have an interim like poor Danny Coyne had to do. And, you know, you, you get no wins from four because... Mm. <laughs> it, that would have got us been, down this year. Yeah, you'd have, yeah. have, have been done. And, I, you know, I remember at the time, I think it was five, when Ricketts got sacked, I think... Town with five points of drift to safety, I believe, yep. second bottom. And it was absolutely do or die, wasn't it? They couldn't couldn't afford to, to wait too long or get it wrong. They had to get it right straight away. And fortunately, they did. You know, you know what, what a great appointment. I don't I don't think the chairman and Steve Costrell have been best mates over 20 years, you know, constantly on the phone to each other. But I think clearly from that sort of relationship we touched on around the early 2000s, chairman always kept tabs on him, you know, spoke to him when he could, when he had to, when they bumped into each other. Enjoyed his work from afar. He's great success at several clubs. And I suspect when there'd been managerial roles up, maybe not made the call, but tried, at least yeah, sounded him out just to see, you know, is there a chance? But I think Steve Cottrell, certainly in recent years, has always been ahead of town, hasn't he? You know, yeah. out of reach. And perhaps in this period, it, it just fit. You know, it was just the right time for the club and the right time for Steve. And and obviously he comes in. So we'll get on to part three now, which is what we call the new manager bounce. Something that me and Ollie discussed for a few weeks until Ollie finally agreed we had had a new manager bounce of some kind. After <laughs> one three in a row away from home. But, um, you know, the, the, the turnaround was pretty stark, wasn't it? The first game was that Oxford City FA Cup game where we just lost three games in a row in, in the late late parts of games. And Oxford City went on to find a late winner to, to get past a, a quite robust non-league team, really. And then, yeah, what, what do we do? A couple of early draws just to sort of set the, the scene at Accrington and Charlton, both at home. Um, lost to Wet Lincoln in the Cup, which no one was really that bothered about. Um, and then, yeah, went on that amazing run of, of beating Hull, Lincoln and Doncaster away from home. And another draw with Wigan. So unbeaten during his tenure in the league in the first, uh, I think it was seven, seven games. Obviously, yeah. he was only there a month before we get to COVID. And we'll come to that in a minute. But that, that run, Mike was season changing wasn't it 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 was something that took us from the doldrums of, of you know second bottom to 17th and suddenly thinking well we've just beaten these teams at the first and second league Cottrell mm. seems to have the master stroke why can't we we think about something a bit better now it was it was that much of a change in one calendar month yeah it was such a shot in the arm wasn't it to make you actually want to watch the football to make you want to mm. you know boot in boot up the the, the i follow stream on a saturday afternoon and actually make you miss going down the meadow for a change and the the approach that we took to games the the, the sort of the, the engagement that you saw from the, the players and how how sort of enthusiastic they seemed when they they seemed like they seemed like different men, didn't they? When they when they were playing under Cotter on those first few months, and you could just see the way he talked about the preparation and what they were trying to achieve. He sort of strapped it back to basics, didn't he? We had a very consistent eleven. Um, he, he picked the players that he wanted. You know, you talk about that um, that loss in the EFL Trophy to Lincoln. That was a bit of a he switched the team up, didn't he? I remember he played a lot of the guys that were on the fringes. Yeah. 
none of them really stepped up and bang next Saturday against Hull it was back to the, the same 11 now that's always got a limited shelf life hasn't it because you'll run the legs out of the players that are there who are already probably behind on fitness anyway but I think you obviously thought right we'll get we'll get the most out of these guys we'll get as many points on the board as we can and then try and get through to the end of the season and I think it worked wonders and I think it just shows his experience in just managing the situation stay up we'll build again next season so um yeah, it was a brilliant. It was a brilliant little period, and, and getting points out of those good teams, top of the league, results you weren't expecting. It, it reminded you why you loved football and why you're going to renew your season ticket. Um, yeah, that was the moment when I decided to do it. I think if we'd have carried on like we were under Ricketts, we might have joined a golf club instead or something. You know, <laughs> let's let's like in, in those first couple of league games that were draws. Was was it the um, was it the Charlton one where, or it may have been the Accrington Accrington one actually when Sean scored the free kick, but then they equalised last seconds for two two, wasn't it with fans in? And some fans are thinking, oh, you know, better, but still conceding late, which which was fair. And let's have it right and be fair. Those three away wins against the top four, one nil back to back, were just Unreal. unbelievable. Literally unbelievable. I remember seeing that um, it would have been two thousand to one if someone had mm. put one nil town wins for those three. Just incredible. And perhaps perhaps the type of games they were suited town where they were at the moment in terms of being able to defend and counter, which they did well. Right? They did better than that, but perhaps it suited them. But that that was clearly the moment. It goes far to say kept the club up, really. Hey, I think so. Uh, we, we, it'd been a really long time since we'd had an away run like that. You know, we, we've won three away games in a row, you know, over the years, and even in the New Meadow era. But we'd never done it when we'd been quite as out of form as we had during that previous section and against teams that were going great guns at the top of the league, you know, first, second, and I think Lincoln were fourth at the time, weren't they? Which was bonkers, to be honest with you. And um, all well-deserved wins at the end of the day. You know, they defended much better. And I think me and Ollie spent a lot of time talking about how, and, and Cottrell was really clear, wasn't he, that the first thing he did is he came in and, and taught them how to defend properly and get them turned away from goal or onto the sides and all that all that stuff we talked about. And it, it just worked a treat, didn't it? Because the, the amount of goals we conceded in the league during this period, four in six games or something was, was fantastic and, and it wasn't really scoring more goals which we still had a slight problem with only getting one in some of them but it was the defensive performance wasn't it Ollie, that turned it around Yeah we went back to basics for me this is a really interesting period I've always kind of wondered how important is a football manager so we talked about recruitment and players um, and for me this is a great example of how important a football manager is you've gone from let's call him a, a non-league standard manager you know and if that's a multiplier effect on the players that we had Cottrell came in he was also, his press conferences were engaging. And so I'm interested to get Lewis's thoughts on what the first one was like. But yeah, he just taught football. Remember Andy Davis, you know, getting quite excited when he mentioned certain football terms and stuff in, in, in post-match interviews about the shoulders and all that kind of stuff. And for me also, we also had a manager that could make changes in the game. That's probably one of Ricketts' biggest weakness. He could, he, he could never influence the game. He must be an awful chess player. Because he could never think ahead. He'd never kind of react to things. He was always reacting to stuff and could never kind of find solutions. And also we had a proper football manager again. Yeah, we started getting two points per game. I never thought we were going to be in a playoff run because the squad just wasn't good enough. But we had playoff form. Um, and it's mm. just absolutely amazing to win games again. And you were excited and it was really good fun. And obviously then we had like Goss came back out of the wilderness. And Love came back in in the, in the <laughs> yeah. EFL trophy game. Um, so it was just really, really fun. And yeah, going back to you, Lewis, what was it like um, having Cottrell? Was it, what was the kind of the difference? Was it, was it, a, yeah, was it monumental? He was, uh, yeah, he was, he was so engaged. I, I'm trying to think back to that first um, un unveiling, I suppose. We actually got to go to the Meadow to do a, do a presser in the soft um, 
can't you might remember the pics he was he was on a table and uh, there was Bondi Stu myself I think um, yeah he was he was so engaging and he kind of hung on his every word um, it was kind of fascinating to hear how the appointment had happened how that crazy days had been to him where he had to go to a service station to have a test um, <laughs> his, his, his background you know in terms of Cheltenham and you know, the more recent history then his time when he'd not been in the game two and a half years I think it was in, in the last two and a half years how he'd before Covid travelled loads to watch watch games abroad and, and coaching sessions and stuff I mean any manager that's managed for 25 26 years is it's a cliche but a football man isn't he like an absolute sort of bastion of the game here unbelievable at a few clubs to be honest and yeah you, you kind of you're drawn in and you're hanging off everything he says which is it was really good and he he was he was really interesting to speak to he he wasn't having any of you know I, I tried to ask and maybe the radio as well I tried to ask about what what he thought about where the team were in the season and what had gone before it clearly he'd watched a lot of it if not all of it most of the games I'm sure I think he said he spent the last week or so like watching games back on I follow and stuff but he, he wouldn't well, bloke he, he wouldn't comment much really about what had gone wrong and I think you know credit to him because he could have look at Joey Barnum and Crystal Rovers you know he could have could have let rip couldn't he on his predecessor but but was manner of class really to, to not do that to keep his thoughts private when it's quite clear what we all thought about wasn't wasn't going right um real excitement if it, it, it it felt like a big I suppose all new managers felt feel like the start of a new era and, and a big yeah a big change but he was also under absolutely no illusions of the job on his hands. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he was under no illusions about the squad he was inheriting, certainly until January, when he was obviously able to add a, a couple of bits of real quality. He would have never imagined the start. He would have had, I'm sure, you know, the seven league games manager of the month that he was here. Those away wins, because <laughs> the, the, the fixtures coming up were horrific. Like the, the ones that he actually went, went and won, you know. Uh, That's what we said the, remember the time, Glenn. We said we were trying to kind of give the manager a chance. We were going, you know, we've got this new manager yeah. now, but we're playing Hull, Lincoln, Doncaster, and then Blackpool, um, and the, then Sunderland, and then Peterborough. <laughs> the perceived the perceived easy home league games had all been squandered, hadn't they? Lost, yep. Yep. you know, which was a, a major concern. And, and I remember him saying, you know, we're kind of trying to get him carried away or trying to, you know, be excited about what can be achieved. And he's like, well, you know, big job on here, ma- massive job on. I'm sure he was confident about, I know there was second bottom and it was five points, but at that point, five points isn't too much. You know, you only have to get it right in January and, and so on. But to be honest, a lot of the big work was done in December, wasn't it? A lot of it. And yeah. know, thank God it was because of no one obviously knew what was around the corner. If yeah. what we all had to, you know, what the managers had to go through. But he was brilliant. He, to give you a little bit of insight to me, uh, you'll have heard this, Ollie, listening through the interviews and other guys. He, 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 would, he would reply and say he wasn't giving me that headline which I, I found funny, you know, I, I wasn't for a minute trying to get a headline. I just found it interesting and in how he perceived the local press to, you know, to be trying that when obviously I, you know, I wouldn't be trying to do that. I'm just trying to ask questions what the fans, what I think the fans would want to yeah. ask or want to know, you know, but he, he was very measured and switched on in that, you know. When you're managing Portsmouth, <laughs> you're managing you know, yeah. bigger clubs, Birmingham City, you are going to have those questions, aren't you? Yeah. And maybe maybe that's something for him he'll get used to because let's be honest, you know, this is not a criticism at all, but you, Lewis, and Stuart Dunn, and, you know, when James Bond turns around, it's a very different ambiance in the press conference. Um, it's not, um, there isn't traps everywhere for him. 
Yeah, no, but you know, we, he's brand new in through the door. We, you know, we we don't want to upset him or catch yeah. him out. We just want to hear what he, what he thinks and you know what his style is. And for the month we had him, you know, I, I'd like to think we got on. You know, we were getting on well, and I had a lot of time for him. I hope vice versa. And um, yeah, I suppose it was all all roses, wasn't it? Because we were winning, and yeah. you know, if that that's the be all and end all of it. You know, if if it was defeats, would it have? become more difficult but he was a pleasure to deal with and you know really getting on and we just got to the end of December and he you, you got the feeling he was happy to work with us and speak off record about things that were coming up i.e signings on the on on the um, looming you know Chapman and, and Pennington and that was the last interview we did with him after Blackpool 1-0 win with fans where he said things are imminent you know very imminent as they were and uh, and that was it then we haven't uh, haven't spoken with him since you know yeah which that, is, that's Amazing. That, that's what happened. So obviously, yeah, we got to the end of that good run. And as you point out, we're sort of going into part two now, which is only two games, really, which was that Blackpool game on the 29th of December, um, which we won 1-0 to keep the good run going. And I think at that point, we talked about how bad that run was. But at that point, no one had ever started um, the Football League uh, campaign. Uh, uh, you know, your first few games, you sound better than Cottrell had at that point. So, you know, despite how, how hard those games were, he was doing fantastically well. And then, yeah, he then announced that he was COVID positive on the 1st of January, which was two days later. Um, and obviously then, yeah, we didn't have another game until the 19th of January, which was that FA Cup game. And um, the, the whole thing, Mike, I suppose, coming to you was, was uh, it felt at the time like well, it was terrible timing. The whole thing was terrible, but we were just on that amazing run. And suddenly, bang, the whole season just kind of ground to a halt and two week did the delay and all of the after effects of the COVID issues beyond that. It, was, it felt like terrible timing, didn't it? Uh, yeah, like I, I guess, you know, you can't have a time this well. You don't want the guy to get COVID no. or anything. But I think it's just <clears throat> you, you, you almost it was almost like we postponed the period where we were without a manager. So we got the manager recruitment done really quickly. But then <laughs> as Shrewsbury Town want to do, we still have to have that awkward period where we have loads of games without a manager. So um, yeah, it was just really weird. In a weird season, it was like, okay, our manager's got COVID. We're going to be managed by the assistant manager. He's going to manage us from his hospital bed on Zoom or on the phone. You know, like it, it, you, you couldn't sort of make it up. If you'd, have, if you'd have told us all last season that this is what would happen, you know, we'd have never believed it. But I think sort of looking forward, credit to, to Wilbur, um, the work that he did, obviously being led by, um, by, by Cottrell from afar. I think a guy that's not managed before, but clearly knows his football and is clearly very, very close to the, the squad. We're lucky that we had such an able deputy in place. You know, we'd have had, you know, go back to some of the guys we've had as, as assistant managers back in the day. I'm trying to remember the guy that was a nightclub manager, you know, who was that back in the day we worked with Ratcliffe. <laughs> Oh, some of those people we might not have done so well um, so yeah we, we were lucky to have Aaron I think and um, hopefully it doesn't make him want to go and be a manager we'd quite like to keep him as a as a number mm. two going forward for Steve I think yeah yeah that was a major appointment wasn't it yeah. you know he got right really early on out of the blue that assistant manager is always really important but I don't think any assistant manager has ever been as important as um, Aaron was this season it's a good shout that is a really good I think it's really good um, it's really good shows how switched on Cottrell is is that mm. he knew that obviously his own age, you know, the gap between his age and the players, he'd been out of the game for a little bit as well. So he thought, right, I'm going to get someone I trust, someone who's got who's on the same page as me from a football methodology, philosophy kind of point of view, but also got someone, you know, in, in, in Wilbraham who's who'd only just retired and I, from the game. And I thought that was a really, really shrewd appointment, even before obviously we knew what was going to happen. No one knew in this, you know, January, early January period that the manager wouldn't be back until when was it when did he come back he didn't come back until yeah may the first you're right Lewis. so Crazy. it was ages and we never obviously at this point we'd heard stuff that he'd been hospital 
you know, we didn't share any of that information because it's just not right. Um, but it was a crazy period of, of the season. And yeah, and it's obviously great that he's back now. But yeah, the fact that we then found out, and obviously you were then reporting, that he was still involved, which I thought was a big shock to me. I thought he'd been, you know, take a step back. And Lewis, what, story, was, what was it like? The stories and lines around that were just unbelievable, weren't they? To be honest, you know, un- mm. unbelievable. And everyone's got their views and opinions on it. And I know we've had debates through the season um, about it, but unbelievable story. I mean, you, you couldn't script it, could you? I mean, it literally could be turned into a script, what happened at town this season. <laughs> so, you know, any um, they're turning Wrexham into a TV script, aren't they? So perhaps town could get a finance boost on Netflix. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, unbelievable. And obviously at this time, um, yeah, with everything going on with COVID, it came at the interesting time for us um, stopping our good run, but also came at a time where we were trying to recruit <laughs> players in to uh, get us to, to finish a little bit higher up the table. And obviously, um, yeah, we, we obviously did bring a few people in. I think we've talked about Keith Burt's impact, haven't we, Ollie, in terms of the work he was he was doing behind the scenes and him, him having brought in. And um, yeah, who did we bring in then, I suppose? It's just worth really quickly saying. So yeah, we brought in Chapman Pennington, as, as Lewis just mentioned a minute ago, which he'd been indicating before he went away sick. Um, and then, yeah, Ogbetter, um, Dave Davis came back and Curtis Main came back and out went Zamburek, High, uh, Miller, Fossey and Ilyev. Um, Ollie, start with you really quickly before we ask Lewis. Think we were stronger at the end of that window than we were when we finished it? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, obviously you never know until you see the players actually play. But I thought, yeah, Pennington obviously played a lot in the Championship. Chapman coming in from Bristol Rovers, you know, linking back to what Mike had said earlier in terms of project players, they didn't feel like project players, did they? They felt like first team. Ogbetter did feel like a bit like a project player, but he was coming in with a different pedigree. He'd played for England, he'd played at Man City. And, you know, you kind of, you know, you didn't know where he obviously was going to end up and no one could have predicted he was as good as he was, but it definitely felt like we brought some some sensibility in there. You know, we needed attacking player, so we got that in Chapman. We needed someone on the left side, we got that with a better. We needed um, a central defender because we were playing three at the back and we got Pennington. So, yeah, I thought the, the general recruitment was good. And also, we had a huge squad. It was absolutely inflated, so we got rid of those. I think it's also really important to note that, obviously, we brought Love back into the frame, who's... Decent enough for this level, you know, bottom of League One, he could do a job. And also Goss as well. And Goss was key, I think, coming back in as well. And, you know, there's a few nice stories. I'm sure Lewis appreciated having those kind of stories and a bit of transfer window as well. To, um, You know, you obviously had two games a week still, Lewis. But, yeah, you had plenty <laughs> to talk about, didn't you? Yeah, well, obviously it was quiet for a few weeks. Was it three weeks without a game? Yeah, yeah. three weeks. Um, oh, that felt like a long, long time. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah. And obviously Southampton was the first one, wasn't it, in the Cup? And that was loads of confusion around that at the time mm. and transfer window was going on um but yeah i think um i think certainly in terms of i think chapman was for this season transformative signing to be honest the quality the likes of which very rare in town colors i would suggest i mean it's yeah if if you know it's it's a crying shame really that fans never saw him play um to be honest a real crying shame because that peterborough game wasn't it that was unbelievable uh, yeah, by by a country mile, the most you know the best footballer I've seen you know reported on playing for the club, um, technic technical ability wise, just had my breakfast delivered. Apologies. Um, so yeah, a crying shame that he, he won't um, you know fans won't see him next season by the looks of things. Yeah, became a much stronger squad, uh, more streamlined, thinner squad. It just you mentioned all those lone players first half of the season that weren't really getting a look in. I mean, Tracy, you know, it 
you kind of you, you never knew what the eleven was going to be. Um, some of the lone lads were, weren't featuring, weren't being effective. It was really tricky, wasn't it? So the squad was streamlined and it was increased in quality. I would say, yeah. But it was a crazy period. You're right. Like you had the breakout in the squad, the manager thing, the transfer window going on, which were which was crazy. And then games started to return at the end of January. You almost didn't know whether you're coming or going. No, you didn't know if you're coming or going. And it was fantastic that we good job we had Keith Burt. So we kind of went back to normality. I I was very vocal on Twitter and on the podcast and not having a head of recruitment. I thought that was terrible um, from the, the club, but they actually allowed him to do that. I'd so go as far as allowing the manager to kind of dismantle. You know, we got rid of Sadler, we got rid of um, Danny Coyne, we got rid of the the you know the recruitment guy who's now at Villa. You know, he's not at Doncaster now. He's even at Villa. And Villa are known for good recruitment and having, you know, a really you know, modern setup. So we've lost all that talent. To then get Keith Burton, who'd built a fantastic squad at Cambridge and worked with the manager at Bristol City. And I think that was really key, that we had a, uh, someone who was in charge of recruitment. Brian tells me he's never met anyone like Keith. He's unbelievable. He's really, really highly rated. He knows everyone um, in the game. Clearly, you can spot a player because look at the Cambridge squad that they've put together on a small budget. So that gives me confidence. And then not, not only do we have confidence off the pitch, the wins in this period were, were so many different wins. Obviously, we lost to Sunderland. Then we beat Peter Bertuna with those two amazing Chapman goals. One with his left, one with his right. Just unbelievable. Tactics to an absolute key. So I went on a, a, a tactical podcast called Posh Report with a guy called James um, and it was a very tactical kind of podcast. And he said, we set up game absolutely perfectly. And we did. We were absolutely brilliant. Then obviously we went away to, we lost to Crew, which was a weird game. Then we obviously, we got a 1-0 away win against Swindon. We would have lost that game under Ricketts. Absolutely 100% would have lost it. And then the 2-0 win at Sunderland, at home to Sunderland, Glynn, that was a fantastic game, wasn't it? And to beat Sunderland at home was absolutely amazing. Yeah, and their run kept going. Obviously, drew away at Accrington and then beat MK Dons. And, and the, the good form we'd had under Cottrell before he went away, and at this point was very, very ill in hospital, um, did keep going through that initial sort of 10, 10, sort of 10 games under uh, Wilbraham. And we kind of kind of called this section Chapman and Wilbraham because on the pitch, Chapman was doing the business. You know, his goals were worth 13 points to us. You know, he won, he scored the winner versus Peterborough, scored the winner versus Sunderland. Um, got the equalising goal at Accrington and then later on in the month scored the winner at Burton. And those 13 points are huge. You know, without them, we're down, aren't we? So, you know, it was really the combination of Chapman on the pitch and, and bringing everyone else's levels up a little bit to play with him, I suppose. Um, and Wilbraham kind of steadying the ship and, and working with a, a very ill manager that really took us through this period. And to me, you mentioned, I think the best game in this period was the Peterborough home win. I feel like that was one of the best performances um, that we'd had in maybe the last two seasons. It was fluid. It was quick. It was good goals. Chapman was pulling the strings. You know, I remember everybody playing really well in that game. And yeah, it was it was good, Mike, in this period that we, despite all the travails we'd had through COVID, we were getting those wins, weren't we? We were still grinding our way up the division towards 50 points and and, and working our way towards safety, weren't we, Mike? Yeah, I think grinding is a good a good word. You know, we were playing a lot better. We were we yes. were putting passes together. We were scoring goals. We were keeping the ball out the net. But we'd become a lot more street smart under Cottrell. We could see games out. I can remember me and you, Glenn, would talk uh, sort of the day after the game. We'd be saying, you know, we were taking the balls to the corners. We weren't making silly mistakes towards the end of the games. We were we were taking possession into the opposition's half and relieving the pressure and things. And and that is that was a, that did a lot towards helping us secure some of those points where under Ricketts we'd be in similar positions and concede two, concede three, concede late penalties and, and throw points away. 
And again, it, it all goes back to that, you know, we've got a guy in who's got good experience. He's got a team under him and now he operates and he's able to get the best out of the people available to him. I think, you know, another thing that the, the Cottrell seems to do, he just seemed to be able to just analyse the, 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 the team from watching, you know, the previous results, from, from watching them in training. He could say, right, he's worth dealing with, he's worth sticking with, he's worth sticking with. I'm clearing the rest of these out. You know, the fact that he got rid of all those lone players, um, all those, you know, the, the big clean out of the squad he did. And he only added two, didn't he? I think in that time, Ogbetter and Yeah, did uh, a few, yeah we had Ogbetter and Pennington and Chapman Three, came yeah. in. Yeah. Um, but I think also just really interesting, there was the, the cult of the manager, mm. you know, the personality, the presence. And even though, so, you know, there was definitely a big presence, you know, Ollie Norbert, I remember talking about it, training, like, Training went up by 20, 30%. I've heard rumours that the players are whinging to the physio about the, the work they were doing. Well, suck it up, lads. You're unfit and you were going down. So it's not I was surprised they were whinging. I was about um, to say, much fitter. Yeah, much, yeah fitter. much, much fitter. I think that Gillingham game, there's a really interesting um, reporter from um, from Gillingham and he was saying that we're probably the fittest team we'd seen this season at, at Gillingham, which I thought was quite interesting. But also yeah. the tactical plan. So when we played Holloway, we absolutely nullified Honeyman, who's one of the best midfielders in the league, and mm. all the tactics and stuff and the setup. So not only was the preparation better, in-game we could do stuff as well. And he was doing it from his hospital bed. And that's why Town fans are so excited. One thing I thought was quite interesting, this and Lewis referred to it a, a moment ago, there was a lot of debate about how much work the manager was doing. I think what we've learned is that you can't tell the manager what to do. He'll do what he wants <laughs> to do. Nope. But looking back now, and I think we were discussing it at the time, we think we were a little bit uncomfortable about how much work he was doing. Whether he'd come back a bit sooner um, from COVID pneumonia, because obviously he had two attacks. We don't mm. really know. Um, but it was a. It did feel a bit uncomfortable at the time. I saw some fans were calling for to get a proper, you know, temporary manager in. But I don't think we're ever going to do that with with him. And for me, I think we, you know, the, the course that we did, I think, was the right one. But Lewis, I don't know what you thought about that at the time. Yeah, that was a really strange period to report on, actually, because yeah, I mean, on one hand, it's lovely colourful sort of in a way uplifting quotes and stories but then in a way rightly you know rightly I suppose yeah some some fans didn't particularly like it and felt uncomfortable with it I totally understand why I totally understand that but I always thought that um you know he's his own person and the best the best judge of this is Steve Cottrell his family and his specialist I don't I think if push came to the shove and his specialist said, you know, you have to stop as a last resort, he would have. But, you know, who 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 are who are we you know, as watchers mm. and fans and commentators and whatnot, reporters to to say he shouldn't be doing this, you know? Perhaps he needed perhaps he needed it. Perhaps he needed something to cling on to. Keep yeah. him yeah, keep him yeah. going and strong and light at the end of the tunnel, you know? Yeah. Um I, I'm sure his target all along would have been to get back into a stadium before the end of the season. <laughs> I'm I don't sure. think it was football yeah. related, the fans, though, was it? It was it was from a genuine care. I I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. think it was that people yeah. didn't want this man to suffer on our behalf, you know, reading the, the terrible things that were going on around the country with COVID and how sick people were getting. There was a there was a genuine already, you know, because of that early run and the way he'd come across and, and the things we've just been talking about, Mike. There was there was a love, wasn't there already? And it's almost like we want you to be better, we want you to come back next season. In some respects, what division we're in was fairly irrelevant to do with a yeah. man's life hanging in the balance at times. I think that was what it was more about, wasn't it, Mike? Yeah, I think like I think through this period you could almost see not job done, but you could see we were, we were we were going the right way for safety anyway. And then at the point at which the football takes a back seat, then the guy's health takes priority. And I think we'd seen enough to know that, you know, if we can get him get him healthy and help him be well this season, then next season he can really kick on and do good for us. So, you know, there's 
there's a little bit of a vested interest in him being well because he's clearly the well, he seems to be clearly the right manager for the position we find ourselves in now. And also, I think I think town fans we've been linked with Steve Cottrell four or five times as manager over the years. He's been in and around the leagues that we're in. He's been somebody that we've all been aware of. So I think you sort of kind of feel a bit of affinity because he seems to have been sort of bouncing around our club, not directly linked. You know, I've always been aware of Steve Cottrell. I think you just know him as a football man and you want him to be all right. And he's, he's sort of a part of the furniture at lower league football level, isn't he? So, yeah, like you say, it's, 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 a, it's more care than football results. But I think the two go hand in hand when he's your manager. So, fingers crossed, he's, he's through it. He's better. You know, no lasting impacts. I think that, you know, the, the volume of his interactions with the players in those last few games of the season from the stands... It tells you he doesn't seem to have any problem breathing, really. Um, but hopefully next season he's, he's fully fit and kicking on. Yeah, definitely. Perhaps he felt that, um, and again, you could argue this is right or wrong. Perhaps he felt a duty that he, you know, he, he yeah. had to work as hard as he could to keep the team up, because I, I don't think Town would have necessarily have stayed up if he hadn't done what he'd done. I mm. think I probably think right that. It, him going away in Jan. I wrote this a lot of times. I think. Um, it could have very, very easily unraveled the whole season, despite the yep. December. It could have sent Town down very easily. Um, obviously, it's not a priority when you consider the manager's health, clearly. But the fact that he worked so hard and everyone pulled together to ensure that it didn't unravel the season is quite amazing, really. I think I reported yep. at the end of the season. It's the most forgettable of season, seasons, but the achievement is unbelievable, really. To have four months yep. without, a, without the manager there... Albi would say to us in the presses, sorry, Aaron Wilbraham, he would say that, like, as a player, if the manager's not in for a day in training, no one's asked, you know, you can like, <laughs> relax, you can, like, have your flip-flops on. Like, that's how it is in football. But Town had to have that every day for four months. Mm. You know, it's quite Tricky. amazing, really. I and that's a really I good mean, point. Obviously, there was a slump at the end when it was job done. When it, uh, it wasn't mathematically job done until Blackpool, but realistically, job was done for a while when the team were 12 points yeah. clear or whatever and yes fans would have liked the team to kick on more and and get towards mid-table say or you know play for your futures or whatever but I personally think it's totally understandable what what, what happened at the end yeah. because of the investment that went into getting the job done I would say right. it, it, I think one way I look at it is that yeah we, we survived and it is a massive achievement I think there is almost a, an odd sense of we let something a little bit better go in some respects. You know, you get to the end of that, that run with, with Chapman doing his, his things and winning at Burton, getting to 50 points. You know, you're right. There was a huge gap then, wasn't there? And we were pretty much okay. And then we only go on to win one of the, the last sort of 13 games, two of the last 13 games, you know, and finish 17th. There was a, there was a time there where 15th, you know, 14th was well within reach. Um, three games in hand for a long period of time. You know, if I'm going to take any disappointments away from the season, I suppose it's that we didn't quite finish above 17th, Mike, and, mm-hmm. and maybe kick on some of those last games. And there were some absolute stinkers and dull, yeah. sort of boring games in that last period. And, and you're right, they, they did go on the beach, you know, the, the old phrase a little bit. But may be understandable because of how much they put into that, that period to save us, I suppose. Yeah, it was real end of the season fair, wasn't it? And I think I think probably what you take from Cotter is a real straight shooter. Probably a lot of the players who, who have subsequently been released and there has been a lot of them on the, you know, when the retained list came out, they probably knew their number was up a long time ago. And I think there, there was probably an unwritten agreement, get us safe and then, you know what, you just phone it in, lads. Because you could see a lot of, <laughs> there was a lot of players who clearly looked like they were either protecting themselves for the next season or they, you know, that their heart wasn't really in it once we were safe. You know, there was, there was the core that put, you know, Josh Vella never stopped running. Ollie Norman, when he played, he was playing his heart out. But some of those fringe players who we had to rely on more as the fitness went and the legs went out the lads towards the end of the season, 
you could tell that they weren't quite as committed to the cause uh, in those last few games. And it's a natural, it's a natural, it, it happens every season. It's a natural result of football, isn't it? And the churn of players that we have. So you can't blame them for it. I don't think there's any, anybody who's going to be um, particularly held in poor regard for the end of the season. It's just job done, stay up, kick on next season. Um, it was kind of expected, I think. I'm not sure if it was a case that they weren't trying or they kind of dipped there. Obviously, you know, one or 2% in professional football does have quite a big impact. But I think we just revert to the mean of the quality of the squad. Mm. The squad is yeah. crap. Yeah, There is absolutely no goals in that squad at all. And it's really interesting that, you know, you talk about Worley. What would Worley be like if he had an actually midfielder who could actually pass a forward, the ball forward? Mm. You know, we have... Vela uh, was fantastic. He played loads of minutes. You know, Ollie Norbert's not known for his through balls. Goss was in and out of the side with, with injury. Walker was injured. We're always rotating. I think yeah. we just reverted to the mean. So luckily we got that that huge win against Rochdale. And that was that was a massive game. Players really came at second half. That win against Burton, that 2-1 win, I think was key. And then without those points created a buffer. But I can understand your, your point of view, Mike. But I think we just reverted back to the mean. We got had a crap yeah. squad. Um, poor recruitment. The players basically were about. We, 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 I thought we also it was really interesting. We kind of mirrored Burton. We were like a month ahead of Burton. We played the same team. We got loads of results. They got knackered. Burton went on a probably even better run than us, but they did have their mm. manager there, and then they died as well. And they kind of ran. They were running on the fumes at the end. So I think it's probably I don't know, maybe a combination of both of them. Going yeah. on what you yeah, think? I, 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 I take what Mike's saying absolutely, but I'd lean more towards Ollie. I mean, um, in terms of what you're saying about about the players, I think. When you reach fifty points, and this is this is like, you know, you can argue whether this is right or not. But if you're a team whose task is to stay up, which was clearly the task in November, you get to fifty points like Town did at Gillingham. You don't mean to you don't mean to lose half a percent for the games to come, but it happens. Like how how do you stop that from happening? I don't know. I'm not a genius, but um, it happens. And you know they're still able to get a couple of wins, weren't they? Plymouth was good. Obviously, Blackpool away was, was the important one, but mm. once the edge of you have to be winning this is taken, it, it becomes much tougher. And I suppose also from the early point where they were really, you know, when, when the manager was in hospital and they were doing it for him, you know, to help him get better, perhaps that wore off a, a tiny bit. Obviously, then we had the rhetoric at the end that, they, you know, they were playing for their futures with, you know, contracts up and whatnot, where I think the manager yeah. had long made his decisions up on those anyway, to be honest. But yeah. Yeah, it was a tricky, tricky end to the season. The thing that stood out for me towards the end of that season was obviously Og better started adding goals to his game, which probably put another million quid on him if anyone comes to ask about him in the summer. But um he was obviously he was obviously class in that last period of the season. Um and, and that was a standout. But you're right to point out, Ollie, there were some right stinkers in this last run. I remember Northampton hadn't won in like 13 games or something like that. And we went away to them and lost one nil in absolutely terrible circumstances. Um and obviously there was a few games where again we we repeated that habit of throwing games away. But Don't at the end of the day, you're well. right. Doncaster we yeah, were on a terrible run. That was the one as well. Yeah, and obviously we then started to having done all right most of the season um, of not letting ex-players score against us. We went on this mad run of Faye scoring, and Mandarin got two. Porter Lang, you know, suddenly we're up to eight ex-player goals again this season when we were down at two or three at this, for, for most of it. So yeah, those, those were a few of the highlights in that end of the run. But honestly, it just it petered out, didn't it? I think Ollie and um, you know once we got that winning against Blackpool, we started playing the youth lads for those last four games, which was interesting and, and good to see them. And I'm sure they'll be involved next season, but. Yeah, that was it. We were safe. I think, uh, you know, uh, as we've talked about, it was a grand uh, a grand achievement, really, from, from where we were, second bottom, when uh, Cottrell came in. So, yeah, all in all, ha- happy with how the season finished, I suppose, in terms of not going down, Mike. 
yeah, and I think that's I think that's all you can ask for, really, isn't it? I think you know as soon as the season started to go off the rails under Ricketts, survival was the key. Survival was what was achieved. I think in the preseason pod, I said I wanted us to finish one place higher than last season. So my 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 target was low, and we pretty much achieved that. So um, I'm looking for for better next season. Um, you've always got to look for more, but this season, yeah, just survive, kick on, get through COVID. The club's still solvent, hopefully. You know, everybody's still able to attend the matches um, and kick on. Yeah, that's what we can only hope for. Yeah, and suppose, you know, Lewis, you'll be playing, saying plenty over the summer about this season going on and, and what's building up. What did you make, I suppose, my last question for you as, as we get towards the end of this pod, what did you make of some of the youth lads we saw towards the end of the season? Obviously, we saw Kate and Bloxham, but who stood out more to you? Who do you think probably has got more of a chance of being involved next season? Good question. Yeah, they're both both really exciting. The one with Caton where he came on late and he, he almost scored, didn't he? Was that Wigan where he almost equalised in the 90th yeah. minute with a header? Yeah. It was a great header. You could see you could see in the games where he came on, his movement was good. He was a, a striker and he could get into the box and his touches were good. Um, so, you, you know, it would have been magical if he'd have scored that. But And then then we see Tom Bloxham who we had a little glimpse of under Ricketts and just this, this young kid, this giant... Um, you know it's quite amazing really Um, and not just an archetypal giant who just wins headers and all that his feet were good he wasn't stuck up front you know he could drift out wide Um, he's getting into good positions I mean he he looks a good prospect doesn't he to have those physical traits are unique I suppose for a forward and it puts you in a good position maybe but you still need to be a good footballer and appears to be that he appears to be kind of have that raw hunger and attitude about him which is which is great i think wilbraham yeah. really likes him i'm um, on a platform called five yards i just joined it recently it's like a bit of a skating network kind of like kind of platform and there's like yeah there's a bit of a chat on there as well and i've seen quite a few people have messaged me and asked questions about bloxham which i think yeah. is really interesting that a few people who have like there's um um, yeah, quite a few people have watched him and they seen and what they've seen from him. And also I thought the comments, Lewis, from um from Oxford were really interesting. Carl Robertson was asking who he was and yeah, they couldn't yeah, believe yeah. he was 17 years old. Um, and they're the kind of comments for me that you know really kind of stand out and um, that you know the professionals are, are kind of rated him really highly. Yeah, you don't get many forwards at 17 or six foot five, do you? So <laughs> just intrigue first of all and then Clearly, he's playing well. Um, yeah. But Caton as well, I know the club have high hopes for. I think Caton spent quite a period of the season injured, as he would have featured quite a lot more. Um, I think we'll see him a lot in friendlies, Caton and, and Bloxham, and maybe both will go out on loan next season, certainly. Be good for him, yeah. yeah. To possibly at Telford's level. Not saying necessarily Telford, but it's a good level. So have you a not? young kid on, on, on loan, <laughs> as you know, Barnett and Sears have proved. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, good, good, good to see them involved. Um, Kate had a pro deal, Bloxham's too young yet. A shame we didn't see any more of the 18s crop get off of the pros, but perhaps that's the climate at the moment. I don't know. We could do a whole we, new podcast going into that. But, um, well, we might have to do another one as the season summer goes on. Obviously, we've, as usual, given our promising young youth goalkeeper a contract, which we do every summer on the off chance <laughs> that they turn into another <laughs> Joe Hart. Um, but yeah, Jaden Bevan has obviously signed, hasn't he? So maybe we'll see yeah. some of him pre season. But yeah, I, I guess that's it, really. Ollie, we've had our kind of summary of the season on the last pod. Mike and, 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 and Lewis have just given us theirs. I think I was just going to finish with my stat of the season before we just quickly look at the team of the season, Ollie. But yeah, I, I did put this out on Twitter, but not everyone would have seen it. But obviously, with Dave Edwards now retiring uh, or, or leaving us at least to go and play semi-professional football somewhere, by the sounds of it, um, 
Yeah, the longest gap between the first and last Shrewsbury Town goal is now 5,800 days, and David Edwards owns that record, um, a record unlikely to be beaten in a long time, I would imagine. So, obviously, he scored when he was a teenager and got his last goal when he was in his, his mid-30s. And, um, yeah, so, you know, a nice nice record for Dave to leave on. And I suppose probably just one real quick one on Dave for everybody, but, you know, he is he is a pretty much a modern-day club legend in terms of coming back and everything, Mike, and a real shame we didn't get to send him off, I suppose. Yeah, I don't think I don't think his return to the club panned out how he wanted. I think he would have liked to lead us on to glory, or his performances to be slightly better. He was he never he, there weren't really very many occasions when he was fully up to speed and up to fitness. He had injuries, he had time out of the team. Um, I really wanted him to go well for him. You know, every time he was anywhere near the box with the ball, you wanted him to score. You know, hometown boy and all that. Um, and it's just a shame we didn't get to give him a, a send off on the Meta pitch. Everybody give us a stand innovation because. Yeah. I think he deserves it for, for his time at the club. So hopefully there's a testimonial in there or, um, you know, he can be mascot for the first game of the season next season, something like that, <laughs> you know, get in that round of applause he deserves and then send him off to play for the away supporters. Yeah. That's what yeah. He's coming back to play for the away supporters. I'm going to get on him about that. Yeah. Mike, that would be a good shout. And um, yeah, I, I suppose Ollie, just do you want to run through, we, we did a vote, didn't we, for what fans thought player team of the season was probably just lay it out and see if anyone's got any objections, but yeah, go on. Clearly, yeah, I, team and I noticed my own Dave, sorry, Dave related stat that I didn't publish just quickly. Um, oh, go on. Obviously, his last game for the club at Crew, uh, managed by Dave Artel. I think in his first ever appearance, which was from the bench, I believe, um, Scunthorpe, wasn't it? I think. Yep. Um, Dave Artel was also on the bench with Dave. No, ah, yeah. Full circle. Yeah, yeah, quite a strange one for him. Go on, Alice. Well, Dave Artel didn't make our team of the season, nor did Dave Edwards, did he, Ollie? But um, yeah, go on, run, run us through it. Yeah, so team of the season pretty much picks itself. I think there was only maybe one or two kind of real kind of debates in there. So yeah, team of the season, Sartich and goal, Pennington, Ebanks and Pierre um, in, in the back line. Um, Miller, um, number 14, came on the right wing back. We, I thought it was hilarious. We had like 13 players play at right back, right wing back this season <laughs> because we were just the recruitment was so bad. So then we had Norburn and Bello, obviously, obvious in central midfield. Ogbetta, the other number 14 on the left. Goss in number 10, and then Chapman and Worley. I thought it was actually quite weird, actually, that Chapman did so well in the number 10 role and then never really played there again. We kind of we kind of dropped playing a, a genuine number 10, which I thought was a bit odd. So maybe we'd be interested. Because obviously we were talking a lot about Chapman's assists, but I think it's also worth point working out that he was playing up front a lot as well, which I don't think really yeah. is his, his natural position. Um and then, yeah, out of that team, Vela was Mother's player of the season. Um, he was, Ogbetta did start getting a lot of points in our top threes, didn't he, Glenn? Um, but I think it's only right that Vela got a man of, man of the season. Um, he played the most minutes as well, by far. Um, and he was he was probably best player, I thought, this season, um, Lewis. I think, I think Vela will take off when fans are back at the meadow because fans love a trier, don't they? An engine. And, uh, I mean, fans haven't seen Vela much because he signed, he played a couple of games and then COVID. Um, he, his engine. I mean, he, he runs harder and more than like a Doherty. His engine is incredible. Like, and you kind of really get behind that, don't you? And he's got got quality, you know. And he's good again in his positions, and he can finish off chances. He needs more than more goals, but I think it'll come. I think it'll become a real favourite. Um, yeah. So hope that happens. Yeah, we always give hard runners Doherty, nor nor uh, Nolan the other season. You know, ran up and down the pitch. A go go, a go go go. Yeah, they always get the player of the season, don't they? As always, but I don't know any objections to that team of the season. Mike was was Maine going to make yours? Pike really on the edge of fringes getting in it or not? Yeah, I can't believe those guys have missed out. Poor old Curtis Maine. Jesus Christ, what what was that all about? That he was. We haven't talked about Maine at all, have we? 
We've well, they said about him when we did the January transfer signing. When we signed him, they said he was quite... first choice, and he definitely wasn't first choice. No, he on, was man. like 50th, yeah. maybe, or something. It seems yeah. quite hard. Well, to Lewis, Lewis players, had to scrap a story about Will Griggs, surely. <laughs> surely you'd yeah. written the Will Griggs story at some point. Well, Will Griggs was going to sign until that Sunday when MK Dons came in. Yeah, I hope I don't write about Will Griggs in a transfer window again, to be honest. I'm fed up of it. Personally. Yeah, it's boring. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you can argue with that team. They're going back to the point. I think it's it's the only team you could really put in there. Maybe just Daniels for Miller because he did well when he played right wing back. Um, but other than that, it's yeah, it's it's pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? Which is sad. You know, we had eleven decent players at once at any one mm-hmm. time, and it kind of it was just those guys on it. So yeah, that's all you can say. Rochon Roche or Pennington is another debate, isn't it? Possibly. <laughs> well, we booted yeah. Rochon out, so I don't think he was Roche. <laughs> realizing Roche's that much. Funny yeah. one, isn't he? He's an interesting yeah. one. He came in obviously yeah. in the January window. Um, came in the January window, um, and then kind of did really well, but kind of petered out. And yeah, he's you know he's he's very vulnerable one on ones. I think that's why we probably one of the reasons why we need to play three at the back. He hasn't really pushed on as much as we'd hope. So it'd be really interesting to see how he goes. And then I guess yeah, really just probably before we close is obviously a mass exodus. We've let most of the players go, but to be honest, I don't yeah. think anyone is really that surprised about that. You know, we've no. got a really good core. So we're keeping Pierre, we're keeping Norbert, we're keeping Vela, we're keeping Ebanks. Harry Burgoyne's decent backup. We've triggered Norman Morley's deal, who I'm sure mm-hmm. would have gone to another club. <laughs> I could tell there was a little bit of frustration in his voice when he was talking about that. Um, so next season is exciting, but I think this season it's one to, to close off. And yeah, it's, we've ended up where we probably expected to do. And we go yeah. forward with a proper football manager, a proper head of recruitment um, and a lot of space in the squad. Interestingly, from what I gather, I've spoken to a couple. Um, I, I don't think it's in, it's really interesting because the what we get you get from watching as fans and perhaps us in in the press we, with the contract situation the way it was. I think we all assumed and knew there would be a big exodus, new manager, etc. First summer, big changes. But from what I gather, I don't think players expected it. Not not, not, not saying that they were not saying that they were confident that they would all get deals they clearly knew some of them wouldn't but um i from what i gather they did not expect the volume that we had even though fans mm. may have expected you know we we sort of all expected it i don't i don't think the players did so i imagine that wednesday at the meadow a couple of weeks ago was was a tricky one for them a very tricky one for the manager i imagine a few were surprised i think a few players probably thought they'd done enough enough and offered enough in a couple of roles you know decent value but no one can say Cottrell hasn't been able to put his stamp on it, can he? Yep. I, thought, I just thought it was quite interesting that how, how the players maybe see 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 it differently to to us, perhaps being in that bubble. Yeah, I, I was a little surprised by a couple of them. I, I saw value in in a couple, but clean slate, isn't it? I mean, there haven't been this many clear outs out there since. Was it probably that Graham Turner relegation season? Or Mellon, uh, when he decided that we'd get promoted and then just get rid of everybody who did the yeah. job, which was a bit weird yeah. and pay, didn't pay off in the end. But I, yeah, I think that, you know, let's wrap this one up now. It, we are, you know, almost at a clean slate kind of period now for Cochran, aren't we? He's back. He's going to have whatever he wants to do with the with the squad. COVID money tree restrictions, you know, taken on board, I suppose. But that's the same at every club. And I, and I guess we'll look forward to next season. So, yeah, you know, really appreciate your time this morning, gentlemen. Lewis, uh, cheers for joining us again. We didn't have you last year, but it's grand to have you back on. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And Mike, you're about to go on town. You're about to bin this podcast off much like the end of the season, but you've, you've managed to stay to the end. So, yeah, cheers for joining yeah. us, bro. 
I think classically for uh, for this season, the, like I've been trying to do something super town related, and the kids have been disturbing me all morning. Like when I was sat in the front room watching the streams, and the kids wouldn't shut up. So yeah, I'm amazed <laughs> I made it to the end, to be honest. But yeah, thanks for having us. It's been a good to review it and remember actually what happened this season. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll be down the meadow and forgetting this ever happened. That's what I like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Ollie, yeah, that's that's us done for 2020, 2021 in terms of in terms of um, yeah podcasts. I suppose we'll do a bit of bits and bobs over the summer. I think because it's going to be. As, as Lewis was just saying then, there's going to be a hell of a lot of changes going on, isn't there? And um, yeah, it's been a pleasure to do it with you, Ollie. And I think we should leave this by just reminding everybody who didn't see it on Twitter that we actually passed a pretty big milestone, didn't we, for the podcast? Yeah, we've done... This is our 231st podcast. Um, we'll Mad. do this probably in two parts. And yeah, we've now totaled over 150,000 listens, which is absolutely mad when we think back to, um, yeah, 2016 when we did our first podcast. We've always been on remote. So yeah, being in lockdown hasn't really changed our format. We've never, we've done very few podcasts together. And yeah, we've averaged over 600 listens per podcast, which is bigger than our wildest dreams. We never, we had no idea how many people were going to listen. So yeah, we're really, really chuffed with how it's gone. And, and I think the, the big thing is, and in lockdown as well, Doing the podcast has been amazing. The connection, the the chat on a Saturday, mm. that you yeah. know the notifications and feedback. You know, remember when we when we were winning those games? I kept doing that silly running um, gif <laughs> on Twitter and stuff. And those little moments have helped helped me in lockdown a lot because yeah, the football I think has been key. And I think Michelle Lewis, you found that as well. Yeah, the fans have been really engaged online with social media yeah. because yeah, there's been very little else to get excited about. Certainly over that period, like we say December, and then when the team came back, I suppose. Feb time, yeah, there was real you know, buzz, euphoria about it. Obviously, it was so important. And uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully, when we're doing this next time, it can be back in Kelly. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I've more, you've been a good host, Lewis. So yeah, we'd like to come back. I can't remember the last time I uh, worked an office shift, but you know, fingers crossed. <laughs> You might need to get a new key card or something cut. That's what a lot of yeah. people come back to work oh, and find it. But so yeah, I, 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 I think that is actually, it's a pretty good place to leave it actually, I suppose, this season is that, you know, there's been a lot of talk about COVID and, and the effects on people's mental health and stuff. And I think as, as football fans and people that work in the press or, or even, you know, anyone just in general life, the whole lockdown period and missing your friends and not being able to see people and do the things you love to do, which for us three, um, me and Ollie, obviously particularly Shoe Town, but you, Lewis, are a massive fan of football anyway and, and a Liverpool fan, as you've said before, you know, the, the lack of being able to have those matched experiences and see people and just have that fun enjoyment as well as the sport you love has been a real hit to a lot of people you know I've, I've, I've been having you know horrible time during the season I've just not enjoyed a lot of the, the non-match day experience and I, and I think it's a good place to leave it is to look positively to saying you know I've had a jab now I'm sure I'll have had two by the time the season starts and we can all start to think about seeing our friends join that match day ritual and, and 2022 you know being a fantastic season for everyone to get back to their normal routine, Ollie. And I think, you know, when we, we talk about everything that was bad that happened in this season, we can look forward, take away the football, but you can look forward to life returning to normal a little bit, I think, next season, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully we'll be winning a lot more games. And um, yeah, can't wait for the, the summer <laughs> to get through. Hopefully we can sign some exciting strikers and some, you know, some good number 10s. And yeah, hopefully have a right winger who we just boringly mention every week in the team and play right back. We one player, hopefully. So, but I'm sure the manager will bring in some quality and yeah, we'll do some kind of catch-ups through the summer. But yeah, it's going to be... I think next season, hopefully, it's going to be very different. I think there'll be a lot of excitement on August 7th or whenever it is. You know, with the yeah. squad that's been assembled and the fact that fans are, the fact that fans are just back at all, to be honest, is, is the key thing, obviously. But, you know, Cottrell's summer is recruitment, the squad they'll have put together. I think it bodes well. That's my gut feeling and opinion on the whole thing. I think they're yeah. going to be... They are busy. They're going to be busy. So 
happily I'm on annual leave soon, so I don't have to worry about any of it. Well, there we go. I think that's a good place to finally, finally leave it, Ollie, is to wish everyone who's listened this season a nice summer holiday. Hopefully you get away, maybe a staycation um, in Britain. But yeah, hopefully everyone enjoys a bit of time off now. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll, vis- we'll be back when there is news to cover and then we'll be back next season, Ollie.